Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the very word of God. Good morning. As Pastor Ben said, it is our custom every summer for Crosstown to go through our basics, which is a series that reminds us of the three core elements that make up the DNA of our body or ingredients. As you know, strands of DNA are woven together through bridges that connect essential elements known as nucleotide basis. You don't have to remember that, but they're elements that make the genetic code of the entire human body. They work together in unity and unison, making sure the same genetic code is maintained throughout every cell of the human body. Did you know that every cell in a human body has the same genetic code? Different functions, but same genetic code. That's amazing, right? God is great in his creation. Our basics here are similar to these three elements or ingredients. Gospel, community, and mission are woven together and deeply connected, making the genetic code for the entire church body. When we love, respect, live, and manifest all of them, and we do so as fellow members of one body, we could tangibly sense the knowledge of God growing in us and through us. The gospel is the basis of our salvation. We stand in it every day. It gives us joy, renews our hope, reminds us of the grace of God, and assures us of where our eternity lies, regardless of what happens in this life. The gospel is the story of God becoming man in Christ so that we sinners can be reconciled to him. The gospel is also the basis of our community and its center. The bonds of our fellowship are as strong as the truth of the gospel is in us. It's hard to reach into others in our community if our depth in the gospel is superficial. The more the truth is deeper in us, the deeper our relationships are going to be in our community. In our community, we experience and practice joy, love, fellowship, service, forgiveness, and hope. There are distinctives in our gospel community. We share the same salvation, same faith, same Lord, same baptism, same body, same hope, same spirit. Gospel community should be the manifestation of the conviction we have in the gospel of our faith. We live in community to disciple one another and to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Such love and good deeds should propel us toward calling outsiders to faith in Christ so that they too can share in the goodness of our God. You see, the call of the gospel is twofold. It's come and see, come and taste that the Lord is good, and then it's go and tell what Christ has done. For those who have tasted of the goodness of God and savored his grace and rejoiced in his work, to limit themselves to such attitudes of only receiving the goodness of our God, that would be selfish. But we know a lot of people who are like that, maybe even in our own circles. We have received the goodness of our God, and we have become grateful, or hashtag blessed, which has become more of a bumper sticker than a truth that we live every day. 
yet we have failed to live this conviction in a way that calls others to come and taste as well. For some, the only thing they remember from First and Second Chronicles is a small passage in First Chronicles 4, 9 and 10, which is in the middle of a genealogy where there's this very famous man who's mentioned only once in the Bible that says this prayer, and his name is Jabez. I'm pretty sure some of you might have it on a coffee mug somewhere. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. The prayer in itself has nothing wrong in it. He was a man born in pain, and he was asking for God to prevent that pain from continuing in his life. But our mistake would be to make this prayer a mantra for God to bless us or bless me and only me. And oftentimes we mean that at the exclusion of others. So in light of this, we come to Psalm 67, which is the subject of our meditations today. It is a psalm of thanksgiving written by King David, likely at the time of harvest at the end of the summer, something around the time of our day today or September. But there is something unique that distinguishes this psalm from other thanksgiving psalms in that it calls for God's blessing on the congregation with the purpose that his name would be known by the peoples of the earth for his praise and for his glory. He is the center of this psalm. In our meditations today, we will look at the following points from the psalm, that God blesses us so that we would bless others, that God's worship is a primary goal of missions, and that God guides nations so that he may be found. In our conclusion, we'll talk about application in terms of our obedience. Let me read the psalm again for us today so that we can start meditating on it. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. So God blesses us so that we may bless others, or God's blessing is a basis for our missions. In verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us, not me. It's an adaptation of many of the blessings that we see in the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, the most known of which is probably the blessing that was given to Aaron in Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. And this is y'all, okay? Not just you, individual. Bless all of you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a marvelous blessing for the whole community of faith And it is a blessing that contains word of grace that stirs in the heart joy and trust in the Lord. Words we hear as benediction at the end of 
worship services, words that we speak with anticipation over people we send to the ends of the earth or we, people we ordain for ministry. And what great words they are for us today, we who live in this new covenant, having tasted and seen of the goodness of the Lord. We believers today, the church of Jesus Christ, are the recipients of this marvelous blessing. God has truly blessed us, and he has been gracious to us in calling us from death to life. He has truly blessed us in his beloved Son. And yes, he has shown his face on us. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know if you heard some of the songs we sang today or Pastor Ben's prayer. God has truly been gracious to us and shown his light on us. His countenance is on us and goes before us. The blessing is a corporate one, not just me, but us. Just like the blessing in Numbers was for the whole people. David here is praying for the whole congregation to be blessed. It is not be gracious to me, but to us. It is for the community, gospel, community, and mission. It is in the manner of many biblical prayers, including the one Jesus taught, to be one for community. He said, pray like this, our Father, not my Father. Maybe go try to pray my Father and give me and then see how that dif is different. You probably might have prayed it sometimes as meaning my Father, while it says our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from temptation, not just me. We pray corporately as one body. Don't forget that from Monday to Saturday. We are not lone rangers. We are members of one body. We are a community of faith, a community of grace. So where do missions fall into this? The God we serve has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God who told to Abraham, be fruitful, or to Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He is also the same God who told Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be in blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He is the same God who blessed Isaac so that in his offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He is the same God who blessed Jacob so that in him and in his offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Those are found in Genesis 12, 26, and 28. He is the same God who made ordinances for the Gentiles to become members of the old covenant so that they can actually worship the one true God as well. He is the same God whose spirit breathed through David the words of, these psalm, of this psalm, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And here's where we come to our second point, which is God's worship being a primary goal of missions. And we'll spend more time on it and see how it overlaps with the first one as well. If we see the pattern that God blesses people so that they bless others, we should pay attention because God repeats it often and often, which means it's going to come on the test at the end. God graciously calls people to become his children, demonstrating his lavish love with one of the goals being so that they would bless others by making his way known on earth and his saving power 
among all nations. Our God has been on mission since the beginning of time, and this mission is to make his name known, reconciling people to himself for the praise of his glory and his worship among the nations. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. God's workings in and for his people are a conduit for his truth to be known by the whole world. The privilege of the believer is to be used as an instrument in God's plan for salvation. We read in Isaiah 43, 21, that God has a chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Not just praise me, but also declare my praise among the nations. In Romans 1, 5, Paul says that through Jesus Christ, we have received grace to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. God blesses us and is gracious to us so that he may be worshipped by all nations. Look with me at 1 Peter 2.9. Turn with your Bible or your app to 1 Peter 2.9. Peter in this passage is calling believers to live godly lives as opposed to the unbelievers who reject God. And that's where the word but starts the passage. So let's look at the rest of the verse. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Christ we have been chosen, as we pray today in our assurance of pardon, we have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be believers in him. In love he predestined us. We have become children of God, children of the King of Kings and co-heirs with Christ of great promises. Christ is our brother. We have been grafted into a royal line and have been given the new covenant in which we minister to one another. A royal priesthood. We are ministers to one another. A holy nation called to live lives worthy of the gospel. A people for his own possession. Once we were alienated, but now we are all members of the new kingdom of the church universal, seen and unseen, past, present, and future. We are secure in the hand of our Savior. That is an amazing grace. But it does not end here. Let's look at the second part of the verse in 1 Peter 2.9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power, among the nations. When his excellencies are proclaimed, his way is revealed to those who are astray as the Holy Spirit removes the veil and quickens the heart. God is proclaimed, saving power is at work, people who are dead now come to life. And they respond by celebration, by praise and worship. You see, God could save people and immediately call them to heaven. Do you ever wonder why that's not the case? I mean, this world is horrible. Just look at this week, what happened. There's a lot of beautiful things in the world, but we know that we were made for something far better. Do you ever wonder why we're still here? We should all look forward to the sweetness and joy of eternal glory and and pray, come Lord Jesus. Our hearts should long 
for that eternity that God has made us for. For the time being, God kept us here so that we may proclaim his excellencies. Yes, we are being sanctified, but then one day we'll be fully sanctified. But he has kept us here so that we may proclaim his excellencies. He gave us the great commission. Could he not do it without us? You bet he could. But he grants us this great privilege of being workers and ministers in his field where he sovereignly ordains the removal of the fail from people's eyes and hearts through the preaching of the word. Because faith comes by preaching. Faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that entails preaching. When faith comes, the proper response of the heart that encounters the one true God and is transformed by him is to bow down and worship, to praise, to exalt his name on high. Missions exist to increase the worship of God through the knowledge and praise of his glory in the hearts of peoples and nations. Missions exist to increase the worship of God through the knowledge and praise of his glory in the hearts of peoples and nations. Missions doesn't exist so that we can go discover another land or that we can feel better about ourselves or, that, or that, so that we can make all those poor people know our Western ways. John Piper said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Because when we don't worship him, we don't proclaim him. And when people don't know him, they don't worship him. Do you understand that? Missions exist because worship doesn't. We worship God by proclaiming his name, not just by coming together for an hour or two on a Sunday. And the peoples worship God as they come to know his name as well. God desires worshipers in spirit and truth on all the face of the earth. He is neither a narcissist nor selfish if he demands worship. You and I would be. In fact, we would be deluded if we asked people to worship us. We know a lot of people who do that. But God deserves all praise and all glory and all honor and power and worship and adoration from all eternity and through all eternity because he is worthy and his kingdom is everlasting. One day every knee will bow, willingly or unwillingly, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you know what? I'd like to think that he prefers that people would do so willingly. And that you and I better pray for that and work for that as well. That people would worship God willingly. Or say that Jesus Christ is Lord willingly. You see, believers, God in his magnificent plan made us his children and commissioned us as his ministers, to go into all the world and preach the good news to all nations for the glory of God and for his worship among the peoples. This, of course, does not mean these, let the peoples praise you, O God, that all the peoples praise you, your saving power among all nations. Those word nations do not mean the states and governments of today. There are many nations in terms of states and governments that do not exist anymore. The Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire. We have different nations 
now and then we have new governments that come up every now and then as well. This is not what it means, but it comes, the word nation comes from the Greek word ethne, which usually indicates groups of people that are often distinguished by common language, culture, and customs. So where do we find such ethnes or nations? Let's focus next on God's sovereignty over the realms of nations, as declared in verse 4, which directs our eyes at God's sovereignty and ruling, and also over geography. Verse 4 assures us of two things. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. The first one pertains to rule and justice, and the second to guidance. The word judge here means more governance than judgment. But at least in part, it pertains to the end of times, that God will judge every person and all nations according to whether they believe in God or not. This will be the most equitable justice through all eternity. Abraham said, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. In Acts 17, we, say, we see that God is commanding all people to come to repentance, for he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead. But the word also judge, even more so, pertains to the current governance of people and how God, the king, establishes rules and leaders. We know that those who believe in God will reform their lives and laws to live according to the precepts of God. We do not have any theocracies today. The nations today, are, the kings today are not kings like King David. Yes, God establishes all the kingdoms, but we do not have, have a theocracy today. The covenant is given for the church today. However, people who live according to the law of God will change laws and do things that enable people to flourish. And we should pray for that, that all those who are in authority would do what is just, what is right, what enables the people of God to worship him and to proclaim him. The role of a judge or of a ruler is not only to punish guilt, but to preserve life and defend the innocent, to do what is right for human flourishing. The second aspect of this verse, guide the nations upon earth, is one that is very important for us, especially the ones who live in the West. This verse pertains to all periods of history until the end of times. He guides the nations upon earth. What this means is that God is sovereign, not only in the creation of people, but also in the moving of peoples around in history and geography so that people may come to know him. Looking again at Acts 17, beginning in verse 26, he made from one nation from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. As you can see, God is sovereign, not only in the establishing of people, but also in the moving of peoples on all the face of the earth and all of human history. It is true that this world has war. This world has wars and famines and conflicts and economic distresses, and people move to seek a better life, a better economy, a better political system, and many improvements in their being. It is true that for these reasons and others, many people will 
move around, migrate, immigrate, create new cultures so that they may live better, find safety, seek success, pursue education. It is true that people are being displaced or become refugees because of conflicts and famines. But in all of this, God is sovereign to turn what people intend for their own purposes and sometimes for evil, for his own good, for the salvation of many, and for people to come to the knowledge of the one true God and to worship him. This does not absolve perpetrators of guilt. Okay? This is bigger than today, but for example, Judah Iscariot cannot say, oh yes, I killed Jesus and therefore I deserve to be, to be praised. No, he deserves to go to hell because what he did was utterly evil. Yet God turned that for his own glory. Do you see how God turns evil things for his own glory? This is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God is doing what is evil, but he uses it for his own glory. Sometimes God goes despite evil or against the evil act to do what he purposes for his glory. So he guides the nations upon earth that he may be found, sometimes despite wars and through wars. This is true of the story of my family. When I was still a child, we were displaced during the war in Lebanon. This is where, where the accent coming from for those who don't know where, where my accent is coming from. But after we endured loss and displacement and famine and persecution and kidnappings, my father was kidnapped twice and survived a car bomb, in case you were wondering. We came to a point in time where we were internally displaced people in our own nation. We were at the ends of our hopes. We had lost everything material. But we found the one true God. In fact, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He found us. He led us to found him. Do you see how he purposes what happened? If the war had not happened, I would not be standing here in front of you today. I'm not saying the war was good, but God used that for his glory. Through the witness of a believer who was a neighbor, and then we joined the church that was meeting at his house. Yes, we lost everything material, but we gained eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And if you believe in Christ, you will receive eternal life. And with it, the daily assurance of the gospel of our salvation. A new community of faith. We had lost everything material. We had found a community of faith together. And also the eagerness to tell others that we have found this fountain of life. That God had transformed us from death to life. You see, our deepest need was not to be saved from the death of those bombs and 155 millimeter shells and M16s and AK-47. It was to be saved from death to life, to eternal life. We were saved by the gospel into a community and for missions. So many people came to faith during the war and still do through the guidance of our God. He is sovereign in using that through the witness of his children and of his ministers. This is still true today all over the world. Wars, persecutions, tragedies displace people to the ends of the earth where many hear the gospel and believe in it. 
Quick example, Syria had always been close to missionaries. We could not go to them. When the war happened, God sent them all over the world. And people heard the gospel. My mother is Syrian. We had a million refugees in our country of four million. Imagine 20% growth overnight. And our church was mostly made of Syrians the past few years because they came and at the end of their hopes, just like us, we found Christ. And if you think that you were saved by a different type of grace of God, the grace of God is one and the same. Whether it was through war or whether you grew up in church, we were all dead in our sins and trespasses and one time God made us alive in Christ into community by the gospel for missions. God's grace is equidistant from those who are dead. There's no one who's deader than another. So if you're alive, you should be alive and proclaim Christ. This is still true also in many countries in the Middle East, that a lot of them come here to our own city to work and to get education. This is true of many people from East Asia that flee persecution. This is true in what is happening today and this week in Afghanistan. We do not condone evil and tragic events. We pray for peace. And we seek to proclaim life, light, and His Excellencies to those who are suffering while working to alleviate such suffering. The truth is, if we seek to live on mission in a credible gospel community as we claim in this church, we are without excuse regarding at least reaching the nations that God has brought to our own doorsteps. Do you know that most international students who come to the U.S. leave the U.S. without ever stepping foot inside an American home? They're here at UCO, OCC, CCC. There's a lot of C's, I don't know. OU, OSU. They're here among us. So when we see foreigners or refugees or people from other religions, do we see them as foes, as projects? Do we fear them or do we see them as image bearers who need to be reconciled to God? And guess what? You might find a foreigner like myself who might bless you. Don't assume every foreigner is an unbeliever. They're all image bearers. And everyone, whether you're an American or Canadian or Palestinian or Israeli, is equidistant from the grace of God. There's nothing in your gene that makes you Christian or predisposed to be a Christian. We're all dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ. And when he made us alive, he gave us the power of the gospel, which is what we have. We have a large capital, the truth of the word of God found in the gospel of our salvation. So are we using this power, this capital we have for his glory? The world today talks often about misuse of power. But guess what? If you withhold power from helping people, that would also, or that would be bad. That would be harmful to people. So as a doctor, if someone is bleeding in front of me and I withhold 
medicine from that person that is harmful. Do you see that? So people who are dying around us without Christ, if we withhold the power of the gospel for salvation to them, that is harmful. So when you go to your home and you close your garage door and you forget about the neighbor that's dying without Christ, that is harmful. Do you understand that? If we live with conviction, the faith that we have received through the gospel in which we stand and partake in the community that he calls us to be part of, we're not only to be ready, because I'm pretty sure all of us will say, yes, we're ready to share the gospel if God opens up an opportunity. You know, people ask me at my workplace, or, do they allow you to share the gospel? Whoever allowed anyone in the Bible to share the gospel? Whoever asked permission? Did Paul go to Caesar and say, may I have permission to proclaim the gospel to those who are dying? We have a commission from God. We have a privilege that was given to us by the great king of kings. And sometimes we say, oh, we're sacrificing so that we can share the gospel. If your president here asks you to do something for him, you see that, oh, this is a great privilege. But if the king of kings asks you to share the gospel, we're sacrificing for the sake of the king of kings. I don't know why our priorities have been messed up, but I pray that today we'd found that eagerness that Paul mentions at First Roman. He's not only ready, but eager to proclaim the gospel and to share the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into marvelous light. That is an act of worship that doesn't only take one hour of a Sunday morning, but every moment of our life. So how are we to respond and apply our lives to this? There are many words that come again in this psalm. We mentioned the word us, nations, praise. This is a psalm that is about community. This is also a psalm that is primarily about God. God is at the center of the psalm. He is the source of grace, the king, the guide the one whose way must be known and whose saving power must be proclaimed, all so that he may be praised. Twice it is repeated, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, verses 3 and 5. He is at the center of this of the psalm. It is a psalm that directs us to see how God ought to be worshipped by us and also by all nations. The worship and praise of God is a great goal of missions, maybe the greatest goal of mission. Loving God should be the heartbeat of our mission. The gospel itself is glorious and worthy to be proclaimed, whether people believe it or not. God has the full and only right to be the focus of all praise and adoration from everlasting to everlasting by all peoples and all nations. His kingdom is forever. This God is calling all peoples everywhere to repent and be saved. We are assured that the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come in Matthew 24, 14. The harvest is plentiful. The earth has yielded its increase. This is what the psalm ends. The earth has yielded its increase. We are assured God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the nations, let all the ends of the earth fear him that our sheep from outside our fold here, that God is calling to himself and awaiting to bring in. And you and I have the privilege 
and the blessing of having known the truth, been transformed into life, having tasted of the goodness of the Lord, and having been given the call to go and make disciples and proclaim the good news. So where are we in our obedience? Some of us have gone to the nations or are considering going to the nations or have chosen education paths that would help us to go to the nations for the sake of the gospel and praise the Lord for that. Some are living credible gospel lives every day at the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, at our coffee shops, and among friends. Praise the Lord for that. Some of us are using gifts, money, time, belongings to bless others, to be hospitable, to welcome people into our own gospel community, to share the good news. And praise the Lord for that. And even when times are hard and response is limited, because people don't change like that sometimes, you just need to tell them over and over again and be patient, just like God was patient with you, bringing you to repentance. Even when times are hard, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to endure, to run the race well, to not give up, to trust the Lord, to accomplish that which he purposed, because his word will not return to him empty. Your labor is not in vain. And here's where some of us are. We're still trying to figure things out. We're growing. We're learning. We're taking perspectives. We're asking the Lord to change our disposition toward unbelievers. We're starting to pray for the nations, and we should obey the words of Jesus from Matthew 9, 8, 38, to pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I encourage you to persevere as well. But here's where some of us are, and this is not the only three categories. We want God to bless us, and that's it, just us. We have tasted some of the goodness of our God, but we keep nibbling at appetizers and staying at the periphery, but never go in for the main meal. We pray that God would just remove those 17 people that are irritating us from work, from school, from college, from our neighborhood. We talk more about people to people and to God than we talk to people about God. Or we do pray that God sends out laborers into his harvest, but we earnestly pray that he would send others and not us. Or we are afraid to talk about missions or take perspectives or read a book about missions for fear that God would rock the stable castle or barn that we've built for ourselves and give us a vision that goes beyond ourselves, a reach that goes where his hands can reach, a desire that burdens our hearts for the gospel to be proclaimed and for the nations to be glad. For some of us, that means fear to go overseas. For others, it is fear to talk to our neighbors. For some, it is not realizing that wherever God currently has us is the place where he ordained us to be so that we may be gospel ministers. I want to encourage you today to think of wherever God has you in college or workplace that God has ordained you to be there for the purpose of ministry. 
do we see ourselves as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim his excellencies, a people he made from him, for himself that we may declare his praise? Are we doing our work with excellence to the glory of God? Which is better, to do our work poorly but be excellent evangelists? Because some people do that. Or to do our work excellently but never proclaim the gospel? And some people do that. The answer is that no. God has called us to do all for the glory of God, which means both work with excellence and proclaim his excellencies. If, it, if someone is bleeding and I tell the person about the gospel, but don't stop the bleeding, that's cruel. And if I stop the bleeding, but never tell the person about the hope that goes beyond this life, that's also cruel. We do both. We do work with excellence and also proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from death to life. So brothers and sisters, God has blessed us. God is blessing us. He shall bless us so that we may tell of him so that his name is declared and his way is known. His salvation shown so that he may be praised, feared, enjoyed, revered by all peoples. It is a double blessing. God blesses us so that we bless others and be ministers of reconciliation, so that we are his peacemakers. He's doing a work in our days among us that we would not believe even if, he were, if we were told. His glory fills all the earth. So are you worshiping him and giving him glory? Are we living as if there is salvation in no one else? Are we seeking to save those who are lost? Do we trust that he is faithful and that he cannot fail? I started today with the mention of DNA. Now, do you know that DNA can mutate and strands of DNA can be broken? Even if it starts in one cell, the result can be sickness that affects the entire body. But DNA can be repaired and strands reconnected. And I desire for us in this coming year, our new ministry calendar year, and also beyond that, not to mutate our DNA, not to lose sight of this triple-threaded strand of gospel community and mission, because we are saved by the gospel into union with Christ we are saved into a community of faith and grace, and we are saved for worship, for missions, for proclamation. May God be worshipped among us and proclaimed by us so that the nations be glad and sing for joy and enter his kingdom from the east and from the west. I'm asking you today to listen to his voice, to obey his word, and to trust him to fulfill the desire that he has put into you because he is faithful to do that. He is zealous for his name to be praised among the nations and also by you. We may not all go overseas, but we should be willing at the least to be ready and eagerly sharing the gospel of our salvation with those who are not yet believers who do not yet know God who are here among us so today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart God of mercies we praise you for the peace and the blessing that you have given us as people children of God heirs of the promises 
We thank you for the gospel of our salvation, the power of God revealed to us in Christ. The Holy Spirit worked in our hearts. We pray for the Holy Spirit to convict us every day of this truth that we have that we ought to share with others. We ask you, God, that you would strengthen the bonds of our community day after day. And, oh God, give us a desire to proclaim your excellencies and an eagerness to share the gospel for the ends of the earth. We thank you for the words of this psalm that desires that you would be praised among all nations, that your peace would reign on earth. We thank you for the ministry you have given us of reconciliation, of being peacemakers. And we ask, oh God, that you would receive from us all praise, glory, and honor, and adoration in Christ, in the church, now and forever. Amen.